can I just give a little explanatory introduction to this week's podcast? Our guest this week is none other than David Johnson. And David's a veteran photographer and graduate of Ansel Adams California School of Fine Arts. If you've not worked that out already, it does mean that David absolutely qualifies for the term veteran, both in age and service to his country. And whilst there are times when he's as sharp as a tack, there are other times when his memory is just a little softer. So with this in mind, please sit back and enjoy a virtual visit to David and his wife Jackie's home. Eric Simon and I were truly privileged to have the opportunity to speak with David and Jackie, and I hope you'll take this opportunity to slow the pace of the modern world and take in David's words of calm and wisdom. And we're immensely grateful to to David's wife, Jackie, who joins the conversation at some point during the podcast and just adds some context and greater depth and wisdom to David's words. So thank you very much, David and Jackie. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Andrew Bartram, Eric Mathy and David Johnson. Hello Andrew. Hi Simon. Hello Eric. Hey Simon. And hello David. Hello. It's great to have you with us David. Great to be here. Okay, now first of all, now normally I usually say thank you to our last guest but we haven't had one for a couple of weeks so I'll be able to do that next week. Um, but now uh, we're going to do some things slightly differently because Andrew and I have got hardly anything of any interest to talk about. So we're going to go over to California and Eric uh, because he's been up to things. So uh, let's find out what Eric's been doing. Well, I haven't, I haven't. I mean, sadly, I still haven't taken any photographs, but I'm about to start taking photographs um, with Jenny Sampson, uh, the the, the skateboard portraitist, but I'll talk about that another day. The other thing that actually has been happening is I've managed to make some decent headway on the uh, custom camera lens that I'm building for Alana Airstrom's 8x10. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's coming along really nicely. The wood is, is turning out very, very prettily. And uh, for those of you in the audience, and, and perhaps David, uh, who don't know about this project, Alana Aristrom is uh, an African-American photographer who hails from Brooklyn, uh, currently living in, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And on a family trip to North Carolina, they stopped by to visit a pair of her great aunts, aunties, as she calls them, and uh, she on her mother's side. And she discovered that when talking to her two great aunts that they were living on the plantation that, or the remains of the plantation that her great, great grandfather was born on as a slave. Um, and across the street literally is another plantation, the Allen plantation where her great, great grandfather would cross the road and visit, get up to no good probably, uh, and fell in love with the plantation owner's daughter. And they fled together to Pennsylvania and got married and started a family. And that's her family background. And, and she was blown away by the fact that nobody really talked to her. She had no idea. Um, but also that on this side of her family, you know, she had ancestors who were both enslaved and slave owners. Mm-hmm. And um, 
she was just floored by this. So she's originally a digital photographer. She got into photography late, and uh, she's uh, jumping into the deep end of the pool and going to straight to an 8x10, the, the big guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's going to go down there and uh, take portraits of, of folks and do oral histories and interviews. Um, and the camera itself, her 8x10 camera, is going to be custom-built using the wood that's reclaimed from those old slave cabins that her great-grandfather would have lived in, been in, been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's this really intense project that has a lot to do with, well, with her family history, a really intense part of her family history, but also, you know, really America in a nutshell, right? Um, and how separated and divided we've sort of always been along these racial lines, but also how intermixed we can get um, both literally and, and figuratively, right? Without really even knowing it. Um, and these conversations we don't have around it, um, which really re- reminded me, uh, you know, as, as we talked about, about you and about your history of, um, of segregation, right? And you growing up in a highly segregated country and coming out here, here to San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, after World War II to a place that was still segregated, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, when you talk about your images, you, like the photograph uh, that you climbed up the scaffolding, we'll get to that. You know, you're like, oh, I wasn't allowed in, in that bar mm-hmm. and we weren't allowed to go here. And, um, Black artists didn't play. They could they could play this the Fairmont, but they couldn't be in the in the house band, and they couldn't stay there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and many of your signature images are from the civil rights protests. You know, the young boy on on Lincoln um, in front of City Hall and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really quite striking. So I thought. Man, given the current time and everything that the United States is going through, we're finally having this reckoning. Um, I'm really excited to have you here to talk about these things. I, I think you have a historical perspective that a lot of people don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so man, I, I'm over the moon, honestly. <laughs> um, but let's 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 start with let's start at the beginning, if we could. Um, when you were the first person in your family to learn how to how to read. And write. Is that that true? That's true. Okay. Um, and that somehow that somehow led you to being like, to being gifted or winning as a prize, like your first camera. Um, how did where did that come from? And also I have to know, what was the camera and do you still have it? I don't have it. Oh okay. I don't have it. Um but which, what camera was it, and what magazine did you get that from, and, and how did that come to pass? Let me go back and make a, a correction. Okay. I do have a copy of my first camera, which I got from a, a drugstore. It was a drugstore in my neighborhood, and they, they had things like that. And I had to almost take it apart. <laughs> That's, and it used film, okay? And I became interested because I'm in high school. And there was a gentleman who was a teacher in high school. He taught things like, come down to, to, this, to my shop 
and I'll teach you how to build this, that, and the other. So I had this this interest that I would that I would go to uh, as I'm going going to, into uh, my high school uh, daily, and so the drugstore had the cameras, and they they were turned over to the drugstore because people hocked their cameras then. Camera was worth all the money, so I went in and said, I don't have very much money, but I'm interested in photography. Can you sell me a camera? Well, we have one that someone brought back. It's not very good, but it will do the job for you. Thank you very much. And they sold me that camera. I can't remember how much, <laughs> but it was enough that a kid who didn't have a job could buy. And it was not in the greatest shape. But it, what did it do? It took pictures, the very first pictures I took, which was on the streets in Jacksonville, where, where my wife and I went to recently. Jacksonville was a main street in Jacksonville, Florida. And as, as the main street in San Francisco, which I was accustomed to main street taking people on the street. So that was, that was kind of my interest. But how do I acquire one of these cameras? Well, some people from the hop shop, we picked up some of their cameras that the people never returned to, to collect their money. That was my first camera, roll film. Road film, you know, before the days of the modern cameras. Right. You depended on the light that was there. You didn't have flash and that sort of thing. So that was kind of my beginning. Took a few pictures and, and it began to attract attention of people that I photographed and people in my home. On the street where I live was a grocery store. And I worked at that grocery store it timed the one I was not going to school. I was so popular. They said, David would be good working in your store, Butch. And Butch lived in another part of this segregated city, Jacksonville. So I became very popular in, in the store. Not These people would be my future subjects, would come into the store when I'm not at school. And they, they seemed to like what I did when I sent it out to be, to be um, processed. So that was kind of the beginning. People are attracted to what you did, David. What are you gonna do with this? This art, they didn't call it art. What are you gonna do with this? Well, I'm keep, take, keep taking pictures as long as they like it. It was not money in it. <laughs> there was no money, but it was, they gave me something which doesn't compare with money. They admired them. And I was connected with the photograph. Well, David, if you get this kind of response, keep taking pictures. Find yourself another camera, which I did. That was kind of the beginning. And it was a gentleman who was a teacher in my high school. The high school, by the way, that my wife and I recently attended, and I had done so well over all these years. Jackie, remember that? I being there? And they showed some of my pictures, and they put a big sign, a dream begun so long ago. And they photographed me because a product from that Stanton High School finished, went away to school, and made a name for themselves. And I also had, was able to show pictures that I had taken during those very early days. So the feedback I'm getting is, what are you doing, David? You're getting a positive response. What are you going to do with it? 
Well, and then you went from from there. In, did you take any photographs while you were in the Navy? While you're because you went from there into the Navy during World War II. Yeah. Right. So, were you able to take any photographs in the Navy, or was just the Navy was just the Navy? Yeah. You know? Only while I was in, I was, I went to the Philippines. That was my uh, out of out of the. That was my place that I uh, did. Okay. Once I was drafted and went to uh, to uh, Maryland to uh, get my training before going to the Philippines. When I got to the Philippines, I finally got hold of a camera and took a few pictures. And it seemed to me that I'm getting positive feedback when I point the camera to people. They wouldn't say, oh, they're saying I like a pit, I would like one of those pictures. And then if I couldn't provide that, someday I probably would be able to do that. Once I get back home and I can take advantage of the GI Bill. Right. GI Bill was, was my pocket money. I wrote to Ansel Adams once I returned. I'd never heard of Ansel. But I had seen some work that Ansel had done that ended up with newspapers that the drugstore where I live stocked those papers. So I, I wrote a letter to Bill Mr. Adams. Uh, I'm a Negro. I want to be a photographer. I saw some of your work. How do I do this? And I have a GI Bill. And so over the back, it doesn't matter that you're a Negro. And it doesn't matter that you live in Jacksonville, Florida. It does matter if you can qualify with the GI Bill. I wrote him back, thank you, Mr. Adams. I do qualify because I'm a veteran and I have the GI Bill. And I was in California uh, while I was in the Navy. Everything is falling into place. Can I get back to California? Do I have the money? I had gone back to my job that I had prior to going into the service. The war is going on. And high school kids go get a job in the local air base where they had planes to go out and do something. Mm. Like I got the GI Bill. I don't have to get anybody's permission. I wrote back to Ms. Adams. It doesn't matter. I mentioned. I don't have any vacancies now, but stay in touch. I stayed in touch. Now I began to search around. What about my job? David, if you come back, if it doesn't work, you can come back to Jacksonville and get your job. My job, by the way, was working on some parts of the airplane that ran, it ran uh, tours over the, that part of the Atlantic Ocean. So I've got the GIBL. I don't have to get anybody's permission to leave because I'm not a kid and got to. The lady I live with, my mother, wonderful lady, raised me because my mama was busy doing other things. Not too busy to have me, however. <laughs> so there's no barrier, David. What do you want to do? Answer has said, it doesn't matter that you're a Negro. If you're in the first time there's a vacancy, I'll let you know. Within two weeks, I got a letter from Ansel Adams. There's a vacancy for you if you choose to. Let me know soon. People out here had already heard about Ansel Adams. I know about Ansel Adams. There's nobody stopping me. I don't have to go to mom and say, can I go? I went to my boss and he said, well, I, you can leave, but I'll put your name on a list 
if things don't work out, you can come back and get your job. The job was still, we were still active at the war in a limited way. In the, in the base that I was, was working at, which I had gotten through high school, we did repair on planes that flew raids over the that part of London. There's no problem getting leaving my job. Ansel said you're welcome. By the way, you may you may stay at my house. There were other photographers who lived at that house who knew about Ansel Adams, who knew about photography. I didn't know anything about this. Can can I ask like the the image you, of Ansel's that you saw? Right, that impressed you, that get you interested. Which images were they? Because during during the war, he took you know any number of images, and and not all of them were the landscapes that he's typically known for. So, what images did you see that really put him you know into your into your consciousness? Okay, the fact that I when I saw the, the newspaper, there was the mountains, that area that answered Adams or other, hardly to be the place that I was going to make my name. But he's well known, and I vi- since I've been on the coast, I've visited Ansel Adams' house, and I visited that entire area. In fact, they, they have some of my photographs that they have seen. But we got to get David Johnson here because he gives Ansel Adams a lot of credit for his success in photography. So I'm finally making that. I had gotten to see him because he owned a house in, in San Francisco. Right. I go up there later, much later in life, after I had really made a name for myself. So was right. This is where Ansel Adams lived, and these are the mountains that he took. So, so it was his landscape photography. Because I, I had read someplace that you'd also mentioned his work with, um, with the Japanese internment camps as well, right? Which he did in the early and mid parts of the war, where he documented uh, China Lake, I think it was, and, and a few other of the Japanese American internment camps mm-hmm. uh, during the war itself. Did you see those at all, or how did those how did those um, impact you when well, you did see them? Once I saw them, was when I got in his territory where he had lived. They had pictures all over. Plus, there were pictures showing in the school, the California School of Fine Art. Mm-hmm. I was taken by here's a man who whose photograph photography worked my interest in photography. Not the not the uh, the subjects, and that uh, he had taken some photographs in that part of San Francisco, a limited way. And I'm going to be in this area because he had agreed that there was a vacancy in his house, and, and there was a, and there was an opening if I chose to say yes. And once my boss. Learned that I was leaving. He said, "Don't worry about it. If everything's not working, you can still have your job." The luck for me was I ended up living in the house of Ansel Adams in San Francisco, right? Where many of the other people who were going to be at the California School of Fine Art, it David. was all just coming together, and right. we all lived together. David, can I ask, can I ask a question? Yes. When you um, when you applied for the California School of Fine Art and and you got uh, you got in you got invited to 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 go. I read somewhere that you were met by Minor White, and um, quite an interesting conversation developed from that initial meeting. 
about your lack of large camera, I think, probably. Yeah. Once we, once it was arranged for my, for my travel, the date I was going to travel, and where I was going to get off the bus in Oakland and then take the ferry across, a gentleman who lived in that house, there were a number of people lived in that house who were going to help the California School of Fine Arts be a success because they had applied for money to run a photography school. Having met those people and finally met Minor, Minor White, changed things tremendously. Oh, I'm going to be here with other photographers who are on the GI Bill, and I'm part of that group who, who knew a lot more about photography than I did. Where's your camera? Well, here's the camera I brought with you. Well, that's an interesting camera, but uh, you're probably going to need another type of camera. One that you can put a film holder in it, <laughs> and you can, you can load your film up and go out and shoot pictures. That was hardly the case. So there was no way you can get a camera. In fact, I have a couple of cameras. If you'd like to purchase one, yeah, I have some money. So I'm being equipped now. The school hasn't begun yet. Okay, and it's the people from all over who wanted to be in, in that class with Ansel Adams. I didn't know anything about Ansel Adams. So it was, it was my opportunity, really, to be with people. The same goal. We want. We have the GI Bill. We can study it with Ansel Adams. And most of all, the few people are here. We're all going to live in the same house. In the house, that part of the city where um, I made my photographs was another part of San Francisco. Another part of San Francisco. I had been there while I was in the Navy. Because on weekends, we could come from our, where the airport is down that area. The government had got that all and set up a station there. And these guys would fly out and drop bombs or something. Okay. So I leave, I get my leave from, the, from, the, uh, from that area. And I got a place to live. And I'm going to meet the people who are going to run the school. What a break. Because many people didn't have that opportunity, right? And and for the for the folks who don't who aren't from America, you know, for for Simon and <laughs> Simon and Andrew and and yeah. uh, the folks in Europe, a lot of people don't know what the GI Bill is. And and I was going to ask you about that um, because so first, could you explain uh, what the GI Bill is for for our our friends overseas? And then secondly. Um, I'm wondering like, how big of an impact did the GI Bill have for photography? Because there were a lot of men um, coming out of World War II who used that mm-hmm. for education um, that ended up going into the arts, including photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think people really realize how massive an impact that one thing had on photography in particular. So uh, if you take that and run with it, that would be awesome. Okay. In Jacksonville, I returned to my job that I had before I went into the service. I had a job, but I also had the GI Bill, and I also had this interest in photography. Mm -hmm. This may be my chance. And there was a drugstore in my city, and they run the newspaper. And this editor ran a newspaper article. 
about photography and Ansel Adams' name was mentioned. I wrote to the editor and he says, communicate directly with Ansel Adams. Here's, right. a, here's an opportunity. So I wrote to Ansel Adams. I am a Negro. I mean, right. I am interested in well, photography. I guess um, the question really is for, for Simon and Andrew, like what is the GI Bill? Because a lot of people don't even know, like what's the GI Bill? They hear that and they don't understand what that means. The right. GI Bill, the GI Bill is a educational bill that was given to all the veterans in World War II. Uh, it's like a, a scholarship loan from the government if you were a veteran, and that's what the GI Bill is. Virtually, mm -hmm. right? It's it's actually, I think, still in, in effect to this day. I think. Uh, I, so I just, that, that's really, yeah. I was just, I was just gonna, gonna say, I, I really appreciate that explanation there. And I think it's probably worthwhile mentioning there's another voice that just appeared there um, on, on the podcast. Um, so uh, uh, Eric, would you like to introduce our, uh, our other person that's on the show? Absolutely, ladies and gentlemen. I introduce David's incredibly awesome wife, Jackie. Well, thank you very much for introducing oh. me. I didn't want to interfere, but Sometimes we get off track. <laughs> you know, uh, my fiance is constantly like putting a lasso on me and yanking me back on, on track. So, <laughs> and if you'd ever heard our podcast, we get off track all the time. Jackie, Eric, so. Eric was a guest on our show last year and, you know, he, we, we did have to keep pulling him back <sighs> on track. Can, can I can I ask take you back to those early days when you were uh, meeting the fellow teachers and students at the School of Fine Art? I mean, who who were you mingling with? Just name drop a few names for us who, in terms of teachers and other students who who we might have heard of. Berkeley Jones is one. Berkeley Jones was from. She was had married a lady from Germany. And these were the people, and uh, these were the people that uh, had heard about Ansel Adams, knew about him. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about. I never heard because when I, I wasn't a scholar of uh, advanced photography. I was just a kid running around with a camera, enjoying taking pictures. You mean there's something beyond that? Yeah, Eastman makes cameras, and all these people. And where can I get a camera? But the drugstore said, I get cameras in here periodically from the hot shop. Oh, is that valuable? Okay. Can I get one of these cameras from the hot shop? We will get one for you. My first camera. So, right. And then your first four by five, though. Like, so when you got to school, that camera wasn't up to snuff. And then you got your first four by five right, from, from the instructors themselves. Like, didn't they end up pooling their money to help you out to get a, a proper first kit, as Andrew or Simon would say? That's right. Um, right. Uh, in the house that lived, he lived with with uh, Ansel Adams was um, Ruth Marion Baruch. Perhaps mm -hmm. you've heard of her. Yeah. The instructors were Dorothea Lang, some of them. <sighs> Dorothea Lang. And uh, uh, different ones, Imogen yes. Cunningham. Right, oh, Lisa Manette, uh, yeah, I was, Wesson, 
Yeah, I was going to say it's the entirety of the royalty of like the San Francisco F64 group. Right. And yeah. David was the youngest. And he's now 94. <laughs> like anybody here in this podcast and amongst our audience would probably give a body part to take a single class from a single one of them. Yeah. You know, like. Yes, they are the greatest photographers of the 20th century. And yeah. David had the opportunity not only to, to study with them, uh, to uh, put, have photography with them. Actually, he went out with Edward Weston and photographed in the Bay. And that's one of the greatest photographers, even before Ansel Adams. And uh, you know that Ansel Adams always stands out. But these others like Dorothea Lange, uh, you know, Muriel Green, and those photographers are, are some of the greatest of the 20th century. And even Gordon Parks, who is another African-American photographer. Oh, Gordon is a huge hero of mine. Mm -hmm. He was, um, I was going to get to him a little bit later on when we, when we sort of meandered into the civil rights era. Okay. Um, but I was, so we're setting the stage now. It's, you know, it's, it's the mid to late forties. You're there, you're there for classes. Um, and I think a lot of people from my generation mm -hmm. don't really realize because we grew up with San Francisco as the hippie place, mm -hmm. super counterculture, very liberal. Um, how did you, but in the forties, what was San Francisco like? Was it the same? same as as where you'd come from like how segregated was it um how different how how different was it like what did you what did you as a as a black man coming to san francisco what was that experience like i'm coming to a city which everybody wants to come to california san francisco people from all over the world the city that put the, the japanese into camps and that sort of thing and the city that Black people from various parts of the country came down to work in the war industry. And these people became my neighbors, and these people became my subjects. <coughs> and very much, most, many of my photographs are based on that group of people who are now seeking to move out of the Fillmore District into the other part of San Francisco. And those were the people who, who became my subjects, bands that were just coming into San Francisco. Because you don't go to downtown San Francisco, where are you gonna play a black bands? We're gonna play in the Fillmore district. Ha ha. How's that gonna handle, how are you gonna handle that, David? They would be my subjects. And many of the subjects that I exhibit right now are those people, the, the entertainers. Right. The Langston Hills people like that. Uh, little did I know, I knew a little bit because about that, the makeup of that city, because I was in a base, I, I, I was in a base near San Francisco. And on weekends, I would get to leave and I would come into San Francisco. And there are all these black people and Japanese on the streets. They became friends of mine. So... What really spiked my interest when I'm out of the service, I have the GI Bill, I know what I want to do. Wow, San Francisco? Couldn't get any better than that. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right. 
Thank but, you, Lord. <laughs> but at the same time, um, you know, I, I was struck by your work goes through some very distinct stages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have some some really while you're in school, there's some really interesting street photography, some of it large format, uh, mm-hmm. some square when you got a roll of flex. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that early work, you seem to play a lot with um, a combination of 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 high like there's a there's an image uh, on a corner. Um, you said you took these two images almost back to back. Like you took an image uh, a street photography image on the corner, and it has all these little windows, windows and vignettes. Like there's a mirror, and there's a woman's leg, and then there's another a hole, and there's another woman walking through, and there's a man selling um, I think newspapers, and there's like these little mini scenes in there. And, and it's a, to me, it's a really interesting combination of highly controlled framing mm-hmm. and spontaneity, and uh, and. And so there's that street photography aspect um, that I found really fascinating. And then from there, you, you started to photograph more of the bands and the arts. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, you know, of your instructors, you know, you have Ansel Adams, Minor White, Imogene Cunningham, all these different art, all these different instructors. Which of them sort of impart on you that tightly controlled framing mm-hmm. of windows and foreground and background and different structures? And which of them impart on you that spontaneity of like, oh, there's that moment, get it that carries forward through your work all the way, all the way through. Right. Fillmore Street was a street. Right. I don't know that part of San Francisco, where the people are and where the hip people are, where the drinks are and where the beginning of a successful black community in San Francisco. Not people who were here. I came just because of the, of the, of the, of the it was there were job opportunities, right? And the counter is there was segregation. Black people couldn't live in a place like my wife and I live with now. Mm-hmm. So I had all of this coming together, which is going to affect my photographs, where I take the photographs, and who are some of the important people, important people that I need to know. Often right. good lit. Some of these were successful black people. They ran newspapers. It was the place to be. And it's a retreat of the tremendous city part of that part of San Francisco where black people lived in success. Remember these homes that they were living in were formerly lived in by the Japanese. You know. Right. Who were in the camps now. So I've got all of this at my command. So I have this mixed population. I have black people who are here from Texas and places like this. They all became my subjects. And I had people who ran, I'm getting a little help here. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, um, just really quickly, but I'm, what I'm really curious about right now, and then we'll move on to your, on to your subjects, was which of the, the instructors impacted you? You know, we, we have this list of the greatest photographers of the earliest 20th century, like right in front of you, giving you courses. Which ones impacted you the most? Like when you look back, was it Ansel? Was it Minor? Was it Dorothea? Like who impacted you the most as a photographer Minor in White. those early years? Minor White? Okay. Minor. And, and how? Well, how, how did minor impact you? 
I lived in a house when I came to San Francisco mm -hmm. by the white lip. My first camera, that little camera you got will work, but you have another camera here which will take four by five photographs. He mentored me on what, what equipment I, I would be needing, okay? And he was an instructor. And I, I depended a great deal on Minor. Well, Minor, this is a little problem I got here. And what do you think? Dave, I think you should do this. So, David, as well as Minor White teaching you how to use your gear, um, what, would, what would a typical lesson, a photography lesson be like sitting in front of Minor White? What, did, did he give you assignments? Did he, did he start talking about storytelling and building ideas and themes and emotions into pictures? What, tell us a little bit about a photography lesson with Minor White, if you can remember. <laughs> well, number one, the camera I brought with me was not going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we shoot with 4 by 5 film there, David. You will need a 4 by 5 camera. Okay. Where do I find a 4 by 5 camera? There was a camera shop in San Francisco, downtown near Market Street. Go there, and they will have 4 by 5 equipment. You, you're going to need film holders, all those basic needs I, I would need to succeed in my assignments at the and the, the meter, what's a meter? You've got to take a reading of your subject so you would know what f-stop to use. It will solve that problem because when you go to, uh, when you go take your film to the, to, the, uh, to the dark room, it's important that you have a proper exposure. Uh, you, you won't have the success when you make the print. These were all basic things. The advantage I had was I lived in the house and they were right at my hand. I, I lived there for quite a while before I moved on my own. And the Western Master II is the meter that we use quite a bit. In fact, I still use a master Western Matters meter. These were the basics if you want to be a success and do the assignments that you're assigned to. How am I going to do this? You're going to need a certain film speed. How am I going to do this? Okay, you're gonna need, you're gonna make sure that when you evaluate your subject, if the subject is in motion, how do you stop that if you need to stop it? If, it, if it's more than one person in the assignment, you gotta back up and use a wide angle lens. These are some of the basics that I needed to succeed as a photographer and fulfill my assignments. Because some of these people have had been doing photography prior to that. I had not. So in order to succeed in my trade, which I did, thank goodness, because I had these wonderful people around who were my instructors. And I also had this sex, I mean, this is not sex, scratch that. <laughs> I had this... Um, oh, go on, tell more. <laughs> that would be in the next, <laughs> in the next show we do. <laughs> It played its role. <laughs> I'll leave it at that, okay. <laughs> so I had a lot to learn. You know, I'm this kid from Jacksonville. I had not been exposed to city life as I was going to be. So you, you, you mastered, with some help from the likes of Minor White, you mastered loading film, film speed, how to use your light meter, which lens to choose. And, and 
you know, you, you need some degree of mastery of all that stuff before you can go and, you know, forget it all because mm-hmm. photography is all about the image and the light, isn't it? And, and so once you'd mastered all that, what, um, what kind of direction were you encouraged down by these, these, um, these tutors of yours what uh, what sort of assignments might you have been sent on and and were, were you asked to explore certain themes or ideas had, had what were the lessons like interesting question remember now i was in the navy and on weekends when we got our leave where did i go to san francisco i already had a body of people david you're back in you're back in san francisco yeah yeah, I'm school, here. Huh? Photography. Really? Yeah. Well, come over to my place. You know, there's a band going on down on my, on my street. Come on down, you know. We'll, we will, you can, I know some of the musicians there, so you can get some photographs in there. The local paper, the Sun Reporter, was interested, it was a black paper, in news that were going on in the black community, Carlton Goodlett, the doctor owned that paper. Where am I going to get my photographs printed? Take them to, to Cotton Gullet. Cotton Gullet became immediately interested in David Johnson. He's studying photography. He's black and he's doing pictures of our community. The Fillmore Street was a kind of major place. And in my book and photographs you'll see of mine, many of them were taken on Fillmore Street. Fillmore was, and I once lived on Fillmore Street, much later, much, much later. But Fillmore was, and my wife did a book on it. The Harlem of the West is the title of the book. Right. And so basically what I'm hearing say is that um, for your assignments and for the work that you did for school, um, you gravitated towards things that you are comfortable with and familiar with and also interested in, you know, Fillmore, um, the Black American Experience, music, jazz, and, and, and places where you had community to go to with familiarity. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think that makes sense. I think any one of us here, you know, if we're going to go photograph something, we typically go to something we're, we're either interested in or comfortable with. The books have been published and many, and in the book Harlem of the West, is a photograph taken by David Johnson. I made my mark on San Francisco. It made its mark on me because without Fillmore Street, where am I going to go photograph? I'll find a place. I'll go up to the mountains. You know, I'll go down to the waterfront. He was waiting for David Johnson to come and photograph, it. and David Johnson arrived, and David Johnson photographed. Well, in in your in that second phase, in that since we're talking about um, the the musicians and and that sort of thing, um, something that really that really struck me was, um, well, a few things struck me, but one of them was that you know we have these, you know, monumental artists, Nat mm-hmm. King Cole. Nat King, right. At that point in time, everybody knew Nat King Cole, mm-hmm. um, and he could perform at, say, the Fairview, but he couldn't stay there. Nor could local musicians, uh, black, black American musicians, African American musicians, nor could they be in the house band there. Um, yeah. 
they would live at the Fairmont Hotel. The hotels in San Francisco were open to stars like that. They had a kind of a, an agreement with people in the black community. This section of the, of the Fairmont Hotel was dedicated to black musicians. And my wife and I, well, not too long ago, went there and every Black History Month, the, the NAACP, along with the, the local branch, put a show on there. In fact, there's a whole department in the Fairmont Hotel, very anxious to get the black community to live there and also to, to be um, showing, have the musicians with them. Right. So, but for you as a photographer, as a member of that community, as an artist yourself, mm-hmm. what was it like to walk into this opulent place and know that if you'd wanted to stay there, if Nat King Cole had wanted to stay there, you couldn't. Was that, you know, for us, it seems very almost, it's, it's outrageous, but it's also outrageous at an academic level because none of us have experienced that, right? So what was, what was that like to be a photographer, to take an image of, of, of an icon mm-hmm. and know that neither of you were truly welcome in that place? Initially, that was the case. At that part, part of time, when I was new in the city, a student, that sort of thing, I couldn't take my girlfriend there, so. However, as San Francisco, as a really city that people would want to attend, mm-hmm. needed to get, get in touch with the civil rights movement, to be part of a, of a city Excuse me. Anyway, slight interruption. It became clear that San Francisco will be the city that everybody wants to come and live. There were many famous people who were not in the service, but choose San Francisco. And San Francisco Fairmont Hotel set up its own unit up there. But black people were welcome and and people would come there and play their music. And if I want to get married and I want to place the Fairmont Hotel has a whole section. Right. Has a whole but, section. But you, which means you could, you could rent, a, you could rent a, a space for a little while to have an event, but you couldn't stay in a room. Back in those, yeah. those days, yes. Was that, what was that like, that experience of, of knowing you were only partially welcome there as an artist and uh, as, as a black man? Was that... I was... I was much too busy trying to succeed in what I was doing. I didn't have the money to live there. Yeah. Uh, there were places available within the Fillmore community, readily available to me that I wouldn't run into this kind of problem. So it was, this was not an issue that I want to do photographs. Right. The NAACP is an organization who will deal with that sort of thing. I could call a local office and say, what, what hotels in San Francisco, uh, black people are readily available? They would tell me. So the, the civil rights movement is moving along now, dealing with places within the whole United States where these sort of things occur. Yeah. Uh, D- David, um, I'd like to just talk a little bit about your, your motivations uh, for the type of photography that you uh, were doing, especially that you went to 
um, be taught by, we've talked about, you know, some of the, the absolute giants of 20th century photography. And uh, I mean, this is an era I'm, I'm not particularly well versed in, but certainly I know uh, about Ansel and his, uh, his landscape work. And, and I'm sure that that will be one of the main things. I mean, you've already talked about going into the mountains and, and looking at, at streams and the waterfronts and stuff like that. But clearly you, you were drawn to street photography and you're at a fine art college. And I'm just wondering what was the, 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 the view of your tutors about the style of photography that you were drawn to? Were they encouraging of that? Or were they saying, you know, do it if you like, but really this is what you should be doing? I mean, what was their general view of what you wanted to do? I had an interest in, uh, in music. I'm not a musician. I learned to play the harmonica early on. If I had a harmonica here, I'd play for you. <laughs> um, the, okay. They, they were not educated people. They got jobs in Jacksonville. The lady who raised me picked cotton one place in her, in her life. I'm coming to San Francisco to study photography. Luckily for me, I'm going to photograph those subjects that interest me, one. And secondly, it was accessible to me, you know, certain places that I probably wouldn't go in and try and photograph. So this, what you're raising is, was readily available to me. The Fillmore Street, black people lived on that street, okay? They had businesses on that street. And they were, they were the subject that was going to, I was going to be on my portfolio on, which I did. And people from out of town, famous people, who didn't live in a downtown San Francisco, would, would live in, in uh, a long film district. But, like, uh, Eric, what? I'm not so sure that David understood your question. Right. I'm going to fill in for you. Okay. Uh, David, uh, uh, film the black community simply because he didn't have transportation to the mountains. That's a simple explanation. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't follow Angela Adams to uh, Yosemite if you don't have transportation. Couldn't you have hitched the lift? Couldn't you have hitched the lift with Ansel? Said, Come on, Ansel. You've got a big station wagon. Okay, you must have room for, for me. <laughs> There's a lot of people that want to get in that big station wagon. However, David is a city boy, and he doesn't necessarily want to get in that station wagon and go to the mouth. So he films where he's at. Yeah. And it's called the Henry Bisson of, of, of the moment, film, filming of the moment. And that's where he was, in the Fillmore in San Francisco. And that's what his pictures, and that's what Minor taught him. Go where you know. Okay, so Minor was encouraging of of this outlet at the Fillmore and in San Francisco and other areas. Sure. Since you interrupt, talk about my our most recent experience in Ansel Adams country. Oh, yeah. I, I he says talk about his most recent experience in Adams at sure. Uh, sure. So we were there recently. You sent me. Uh, you, we were in Yosemite, and he tried to film Yosemite. I think he's better in the Fillmore. 
<laughs> they didn't come out or they came out. <laughs> I had the technique. Okay. I knew how to produce an image and a photo and a photograph. But the techniques and catching the subjects in the right uh, uh, position and and uh, and and being able to develop in them that is that is a difference. You know right. the technique there is in the developing, and and David was a fantastic developer in the dark room. His whites and blacks are extremely if you if you can look at them are extremely uh, great for that period of time or any period of time. I mean, you know, the whites that turn from the grays and the grays that turn from the blacks. Mm -hmm. That's really what makes his photography so great is how great he was in the dark room. And he has not spoken about that. And sometimes I have to interject, gentlemen. Well, I'm, I'm the, out of the three guys here, Jackie, I'm the dark room worker. Well, Simon is a little bit, to be fair to him. He's just he's just beginning. But I've been printing in the darkroom for just a mere mm, 35 years. So, um, you know, it's a passion for me. So I'm really interested that you brought that up. I know we've completely gone off the timeline, but we can come back to that. So you, in your early days, David, you were sending film off to drugstores. But when did you... When did you first get into the darkroom and start printing, uh, developing film and making your first prints? And do that you still do it? Still do it. We, it started right away. It was part of our training. It okay. was a darkroom available at the California School of Fine Arts. Yeah. They had a whole series of darkrooms there where you can go and load your film. And once, once you had exposed your film, you could go there and uh, process them. Plus, people had their, had their own darkrooms. No, you, you can go around and get the chemicals and make your own dark room. Mm -hmm. But during, during the training, the dark rooms were available. The, the chemicals... Tell me, tell me you had a printing lesson from Ansel Adams. A printing lesson from Ansel Adams. Did you? No. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a little help now. You know, you know David is 94, so he does... Well done, Jackie. You keep keep so it under control. <laughs> he did from Ansel Adams, and what did Ansel tell you? He was not an absolute purist. David asked Ansel Adams, uh, I thought you were a purist. That is, you do not touch up your pictures in the dark room. Ansel said to David, I'm not an absolute purist. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> like if, if you look at his negative versus the end print, they're, they're remarkably different. Like the, the moon rise, this famous moonrise shot in New Mexico. Yeah. The contact sheet is so different from that print. Yeah. Uh, his, his use of bleach and everything on the whites, yeah. you know, that was <laughs> something else. He was, he was a you heavy gotta, manipulator. You've got to keep a bottle of potassium, pot ferry, potassium ferrocyanide in the darkroom for, you know, picking up those little highlights and. Mm -hmm. Making the print sing, you know. It's people say you shouldn't. Fo oh, I never Photoshop an image, but this is what darkroom workers, you know, like David Ansel Adams, they've been doing this for years. A little bit of bleach here, you know, and bring that highlight up there. And we we learn to mix our own chemicals. Yeah, that was that's what the California School of Fine Art had his teachers there. People on staff would teach us that if you were new to it, but pretty soon. You could do it yourself. You know what chemicals to use. 
you know where they were available, you know where the stores were in San Francisco, you would purchase the, the um, camera cards. Well, I was curious. Um, so a lot of your images and a lot of things you talk about in terms of, of the content of the images, they have these little unscripted moments. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the 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 jazz trumpet player with the the man in the forehand in the foreground shadow with the hat, um, the the portrait of Eartha Kitt where the front newsboy had his has his mm-hmm. his hands over his eyes, mm-hmm. um, Lincoln and the young boy during the civil rights protests in San Francisco, um, all these little magic like things that you you could never plan for, right. Um, and I'm a proponent of making your own luck. Like you always have to be prepared. And then when those things happen in front of you, you, you don't hesitate. You, you get them. You talk about having days that are magic that are in the zone where everything is just there. It's a magic day. Um, for, for photographers, large format, medium format, um, who don't really know what's that like, do you have any advice for the rest of us on not only recognizing those magic moments, but getting them mm-hmm. and, and not second guessing them. Like, what would you tell us? What advice would you give us to, to, to capture those types of, of images? I think it begins in your early childhood. Who were the people who raised you? And what was the exposure you, you had with those people? My mom always took me down to this drugstore where I could buy candy bars. You, you, you remember that. Or in our church, certain things took place. And this kind of reminds me of a photograph I could take of that. You didn't do it there. It, it, it was not, it's not, but it, it, it's implanted in your, in your head. And you, that's what you sort of depend on. I, I've been trying to learn how to play the piano. There's a pianist in town. I would want to hear that person. My, my oldest daughter now, just asked me to help out with a guitar. I've been kind of playing around with the guitar for quite a while. So it's those things in your background as you're raised, you're being modeled or raised for the world that, that you're going to, to live in or compete in. And I, and I think that, that drives the artists to do what they do. I mean, it almost subplants the, the subject. I have pictures of all these cats around and on. The person has cats. <laughs> right. Uh, other items, which may be. You know, we're being, if you're going to be an artist, it, it begins sort of in your early ways. What would be my subject? Uh, some things you didn't like that want me may not be my subject. I kind of think it's like, David, did you when you were photographing these friends of yours and acquaintances and people that you were, you know, that you'd grown up with or you'd come to know and love? Um, Eric, Eric talked about some of these images that you made and these unscripted moments. Are you are you having a conversation with these people? You know, how long would a session with you know, to, to a portrait session take? And are you just waiting for them to adopt that position? You know, that hand to go to their head or you know, that look, and you're just ready there, bang, and uh, or, or are your sessions um, a lot quicker than that? You know, how, how would a typical session with these, with, with your portrait subjects, how would it unfold? 
I'll answer you this way. If I knew you and was around you for a period of time, I would notice that you constantly did this or you did that. Yeah, okay. Observation. Would that lend itself to a photo? Or we could be going on and say, you know, we are shooting pictures now. I noticed that you do da 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 da. About me taking a photograph of it that way. <laughs> or we went to dances and all. And, you know, we're going to this dances and so and so is going to be playing. And I want to see you cut that, cut that rug. You, you observe. And that observation can turn into a photograph or not. We're out with a group photographing and certain things going, oh, you really don't want that. I hear you talk bad about that all the time. Are you sure you want to do that? It, it's imprinted in your mind, you know, what you do as, as you're growing up. Things like, I'm passing San Quentin printing. Mm -hmm. My dad spent X number of years there. The last place I want to photograph. Right. As you, as you develop as a human and as, as a civilized person, your do's and don'ts are also in mind. It will be true if you were an artist or not an artist. That's kind of... Yeah. I think that sort of determines what you do when you grow up and you're making your own decision. Are we going to such and such? Oh, no. The book, A Moment of Singing. <laughs> well, actually... That that brings me. There's a question I, I had for you, um, and this is a this is a, a a big question. So I guess it's for you and Jackie both. Um, it it seems to me, having looked over your career, that there was a period of time where you didn't have a studio. You were working the post office. Uh, you were working with NAACP and you were, you were involved in civil rights, not necessarily fully as a photographer, but also as an, as an activist. Um, but you spent a lot of time taking photographs through you the years, not for pay, mm -hmm. right. But more to bear witness because this is your community. These are important times. These are important events. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that, is a, a mission, um, a task mm -hmm. that I've noticed more with with minority artists who feel that that for the sake of their community they have to be a witness to history, mm -hmm. right? Um, I just watched a speech by by Mar by Reverend Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. um, in which he said, you know when talking about the nonviolent movement and whatnot, um, that whites had a monopoly on violence. Mm -hmm. And it struck me that, that they, they, we, I'm, I'm one of those, also have a monopoly on the luxury of not having to bear witness mm -hmm. like a black artist, like you had to. Um, and I'm, I'm curious... Like, what do you think about that burden? You know, that, that you had to take photos to bear witness to history versus taking photos to, to earn a living and to pay your bills. Like, you had to do something else to pay your bills mm -hmm. other than the thing you loved. Mm -hmm. You know. I, I would answer that this way. Uh, let's say housing. Jackie and I are out looking for houses, maybe. 
Well, certain neighborhoods. I don't know. You think we'd be accepted there? Even in the modern day today, wouldn't it be against the law not to be accepted there? You get, I think it, it, it affects, as it affected me, I would answer this. There's certain places I wouldn't go looking for housing. Right. There's something about that neighborhood that I don't think I'd be comfortable in. Or if I'm just the other way around, and I love living in that neighborhood where I'm not necessarily welcome, I won't go anyway. I'll show them. It'd be that. It just depends upon how you manage that part of your likes and dislikes. Or this part is San Francisco. There were certain parts I wouldn't go in there even today. <laughs> it isn't that I would not be accepted there, but I wouldn't just be comfortable there. That wouldn't be my kind of place. Right. You know, I think it, 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 it works no matter what field you're in. It would dictate where you have your camera and what subjects that you would choose. If you had the assignments, mm -hmm. that's a different matter. Right. You find some excuse not to get it up. So, you know, I got a buddy that's certain that he would, he would be great for you. I'm going to be busy that day. You might find a, an excuse. I, I think that it's functioning whether you are conscious of it or not. It's right. kind of built in. So, so basically, for you, photographing these these huge moments in history was just natural. It's just something that you you felt was the thing to do, versus like taking work for an assignment you weren't interested in for money. Just mm -hmm. wasn't something that you you'd find an excuse not to do it. Is that that's right? Is that a fair way to put it? Okay. Oh, you do it, and you don't do it very well. You right. screw it up, and then you can come have some weak excuses. Yeah, well, I had the wrong film or something. Well, can you come back and photograph? Yeah, I'll be back. Certainly didn't enjoy it. It wasn't your assignment. Some things are fit right into your assignment. Photographs say, the, my photographs speak that. Because they rather saw they akin to each other. You look through the book, A Dream Begun So Long Ago. That's, that's uh, the book, The Jacket. Right. Simon, did you have a question? No, 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 no. Oh, okay, you might unmuted. I'm curious about something. It's a bit of a, a yeah. segue, a bit of a tangential question. But Jackie, you're. When did when did you guys meet? How, and how long have you been married? And 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 are you a photographer? And what role do you have you played in David's life over these years, and to this day? So lots of little questions there, but you can Oh, just... I was away. You have to ask me again. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure I remember now. So I said you reappeared. <laughs> Jackie, okay. I had a question. I had a question for you, really. I was going to ask when you guys met, under what circumstances, if you don't mind asking uh, answering that. And are you a photographer? What kind of role have you played in David's career and life? Uh, you know, the ups and downs and how long have you been married? Tell, tell us a little bit about Jackie and how and how you fit into David Johnson's world. Okay, thank you very much for asking. Uh, David and I met over 60 years ago. And uh, during the course of those 60 years, we've been married to different people. However, uh, his wife was my best friend. And uh, so when my husband died and David's wife died, uh, over 16 years ago, we met again about 11 years ago and got married. 
So it's wow. kind of romantic, kind of romantic side. And actually, I'm since I've known David all that time, the first, uh, I guess, uh, uh, thirty years, I really didn't realize that David was a photographer. I mean, <laughs> nothing to me. Really? <laughs> yes. And uh, so all of his uh, most outstanding pictures that are in the, uh, uh, the in the Library of Congress and in the UC Berkeley Library, Bancroft, uh, those pictures he took without me really being on the scene. Uh, when I did come on the scene, when I married him uh, in these last 11 years, I happened to have a degree in marketing which just fit his career. And I'm also an author. So I wrote the book about him. And uh, that was pretty easy. So now all of this came up and I got involved with his uh, colleagues that were still living, calling, called the Golden Decade of Photography uh, at the now San Francisco Art Institute. And we just took off. And uh, David has a library named after him in the Harvey Milk Center in San Francisco, which is a field with uh, everything that photographers need to do, all the books you ever want to know about photography. Uh, and uh, we just have uh, exhibits all over the world uh, in, in, um, in the United States, uh, in Rochester, where the Kodak film is made. Yep. Uh, in Atlanta, of course, Jacksonville, in South Carolina, it's all over California, and many different places. So to sum it up, I've learned a lot about photography, more than I ever wanted to know, thank you. Uh, more than you ever realized wives, existed. As most of your wives would say. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a very interesting, uh, David, Still takes photography, uh, only he does it with a cell phone, <laughs> which is easy. It's not so much the dark room nowadays. Uh, the dark room that he had that I came to know at the Harvey Milk Center, as Eric is familiar with, oh, yeah. they still have all the major chemicals and everything that you actually develop pictures with. Uh, Andrew, um, you would love that dark room if it was open now during COVID. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's one of the largest uh, dark rooms uh, facilities in in California. Yeah, I um, I was in San Francisco in 2016 as part of a 50th year road trip, and and I just didn't I didn't know Eric then, and boy, I just I thought, why didn't I know you? Because my time, my four or five days in San Francisco would have been so much different. I mean, I met some lovely people, but I. <laughs> If I'd have known Erica and I could have met you guys and gone to the dark room and the library, wow, it would have been fantastic. It would have been shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> it really would have been. It really would have been. You'd made, you would have met some of the younger, best photographers in the area. Which, Which is not me, to friends. be clear. But. Of course you are, Eric. But uh, <laughs> uh, we have uh, – for California, uh, San Francisco especially is a hub for uh, – for photographers, there are a lot of them around. Jackie, we—I um, was met by a, a, a friend, a friend of ours, um, who's a, mainly a Polaroid photographer, and she uh, she got together a load of well, about twelve, mainly Polaroid photographers, and we met in the 
Border, Borderlands Cafe bookstore, is it? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I mean, we, were, we made the mistake of staying in Fisherman's Wharf, like where all the tourists stay. But if you just walk away, directly away from there, you end up in magical places like Castro and uh, and the, Brian Brooks, another friend. We met him and he took us around where the, all the murals were and we, we were chatting with the guys who were actually painting, you know. So the street artists were painting. We, we met them and photographed them. So I, I, did, get, I did meet some more authentic well, you know, I, I don't know how authentic they were, but they were San Francisco people. You know, we didn't just do the tourist things, but, boy, it would have been fantastic to have met you. Brian Brooks. Oh, it would have been fantastic for you to go to the San Francisco Art Institute, which is uh, yeah. where uh, Ansel Adams were. If you were in F- Fisherman's War, you were in within walking distance of that of that facility of that school. Yeah, the end of Columbus Street. Well, I need to. I need to go back. So we just need to get COVID under control, and we'll be we'll and be Simon, on the airplane. Come. Simon, down there in, in black and white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was going, I was going to say the, um, it, the we 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 don't publish the, uh, the 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 video here, so that that's going to confuse a lot of people who are listening to this at the moment. But it's uh, which, is, which, which is unfortunate because you know you're right now you're 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 beautiful, man. You're yeah. cinematic. Well, there you go. Cinematic. There <laughs> so what's next then on this magical roller coaster jackie you know you've got your degree in marketing you've uh, you know you're you you've tapped into something i mean day and and made david's work more uh, accessible and known to folks i mean what 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 next iphone pictures uh we'll still we're still showing some of david's pictures for black history month which is the month of february coming mm-hmm. up Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be exhibiting David's unknown pictures. He went to Cuba in 2003 okay. and he took uh, photographs of the Cuban people. So we will be exhibiting some of those for Black History Month uh, this this year and uh, those type of things. And, and for different other societies uh, in Miami, for instance, uh, some pictures of his that have not been uh, widely known or seen. I was going to ask about the Cuba photos. I, I, I saw mention of the trip, but I'd never. I looked and looked and looked for the photos. I was like, "Where are the Cuba photos? Where are the Cuba photos?" I was going to ask what happened to the Cuba photos. Uh, they're they're mostly unhidden because people like those black and whites, and the black and whites are uh, uh, to all of you photographers who want to get known. Uh, get a good marketing person. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, the, the Cuba images are in color. The Cuban images are in color. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Jackie. Jackie. Uh, yes. Three years. Three years ago. Three years ago, I found myself in Atlanta. Uh, our daughter was in u- university there for a semester, and we we did we did a rubbish thing and a brilliant thing all in one day. The rubbish thing was going to the museum of Coca Cola. Okay. <laughs> I love that. But we yep. came straight out of there, and immediately opposite, you've got the uh, museum of civil rights and mm-hmm. we we walked in there and, and i mean i knew a lot of that stuff you know i knew a lot of that stuff and of course you know it's in our consciousness and i was looking at some images and there was a lady there with her grand uh, it turned out a granddaughter black lady with her granddaughter and i was looking at this picture and she was looking at it and she was she was probably about 60 65 
And I said, um, you know, is this, how is this now for you? I didn't know this lady from Adam. I said, how, how is this now for you? Are, are we through this? You know, I, I sensed that we probably weren't, you know, and I think recent events now, this is 2017, recent events have demonstrated that we clearly aren't through it. But she said, she says, no, she said, those, she said, you see those, um, those young boys in that photograph who were taking part in those, um, you know, in those racist or Ku Klux Klan marches, they're now my age and it's still in them. You know, it's just been pushed down and they, and it's maybe they can't quite express it, but it's going to take many, 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 many more generations for that, um, you know, to, to, to finally disappear if it, if it ever does. And this area of, of civil rights, I mean, we've sort of jumped from probably just before that to, to now. And uh, can we wind you, both of you, back to, uh, to to that time when you got into the civil rights? Uh, how did you get drawn into the civil rights movement? What, you know, how did you start taking pictures of people, key people in those uh, uh, in those demonstrations and in that movement? The very first march on Washington. I was present. Okay. What year was that, David? 1963. Okay. So this is um, Martin Luther King big speech time, is it? Yes. That's right. yeah, all that occurred prior to my going into photography as, as a trade. And each time they have a, a big event in uh, uh, around... Martin Luther King, or the Civil Rights Movement. I get phone calls from them, and they already have on file photographs that I took during that period of time. So we stay in touch. Something's going on, and they want to photograph it. They don't have any. They'll, they'll communicate with us. And Jackie and I had the privileges of going back. When was it, Jackie? We went back for the 50th anniversary of the 1963 March. Uh -huh. But back to your original question, um, I think that uh, the other part of David's career that is not known, that he was an uh, activist in the civil rights movement back in the 60s and the 70s. And he actually started an organization at the University of California, uh, which actually... Uh, uh, provided or led the open the path for many of the doctors and nurses there. Uh, it's called the uh, Black Caucus, that where the people there did not have jobs uh, beyond maintenance or uh, aides or uh, elevator operators. David actually started the uh, first organization there called the Black Caucus that allowed the openings for many. Uh, minorities and um, people of other of colors, not only not only racial but uh, sexual persuasions, to be able to get jobs in San Francisco and in and throughout the University of California system. Well, David was you were also the president of let me make sure I have the name right the Postal Alliance, which was an organization. That, that advocated for equal rights and equal pay in the U.S. Postal Service that's like prior to that. That's true. And I did, I worked 30 years in the Postal Service and became a postal uh, executive 
uh, in the U.S. United States Postal Service, and much of that was because of the work that David did in as president of the union for that. So he had he has two sides. Everybody likes to talk about his photography. But uh, that's one of the reasons why the library in San Francisco was named after him, because he had these, others, these other areas that he worked in beside photography as an activist, a civil rights activist. Well, it, it, it's like you said earlier, you know, your photography is driven by the other parts of your life, by your upbringing, by history, by the things you're interested in, by your community, right? So it, it, it kind of goes to follow that. You know, as a young man who'd grown up in, in the segregated South, yeah. um, who was the first in his family to, to like learn how to read and write and be interested in the arts and who served in World War II, um, that, you, that you would gravitate towards something like the civil rights and taking those photographs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what is your favorite photo from the, from the civil rights movement? What is your single favorite image that you made? There are a lot of beautiful ones, but I'm curious what your favorite one is. And Jackie, now that you've gone through his work so much, what is your favorite image of his from the civil rights movement? Well, I have more than one. One is... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm making it the tough. The boy in Lincoln, of course. Yep. If, if you've all seen the boy in Lincoln. And I, we're also going to exhibit that this, this, this coming month. And we demand. Oh. Olivia, we demand... Yep. Uh, so, David, which are your favorite? I have too many just just select one. <laughs> the others wouldn't like <laughs> my selection. Uh, it's the kind of and overall, you know, when I go back and look at the photographs, I become I become one of my own admirers. Who took this picture? David Johnson took. Yeah, you. who was that man? <laughs> I just have a number of favorites, and I, when I collectively, I'm sort of glad that um, it was my time in the world, and whether religious or not, that we all have a time when we can make an important contribution. You may not have done it alone, but you were part of it. Now, the fact that I was at the the first uh, March on Washington. They've called us back a couple of times to talk about what was it like in that time. And since that time, think of the students who've come through those schools. And this is what it was like back in the day. Eric uh, and, and, and Andrew and Simon, I don't know how familiar you are with John Lewis, uh, who oh, yeah. died recently this past year. Uh, we just ran across the photograph that David took of John Lewis and Jackie Robinson, the baseball player, together in a civil rights march, nice. which is a very iconic photograph. Yeah. And we never realized that John Lewis, he's a young man marching with Jackie Robinson. And uh, it's, 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 he's hidden and it's a group of people and they're marching. And David happened to be there and 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 take that picture. Mm -hmm. So those are unique finds, and I think uh, the BBC found that photograph. 
they're they're going through the archives and like, hey, they're going through the archives, and all of a sudden they asked about that photograph, and in regard to Andy Warhol, and I'm saying what? <laughs> Who? They'll say, oh, we need this kind of, oh, I, have, I saw that photograph in such and such a book. They might say that. Well, Jackie, I have to agree with you. And I think personally, like my single favorite, it's, it's difficult to pick a single favorite image, but, but the image of, the, of Lincoln and the boy, like if I could put one of your images on my wall and I had to choose one, uh, that would be the print I would choose. I would have a really hard time choosing anything else. Eric, you should show it to Andrew and Simon because, and see if they can find the extra person in that photograph. Oh, yeah. That, it's in there. Person. Yeah, I sent them a link to it earlier today. I yeah, was like, I'll this photo! Um, hmm. So, gentlemen, there is there is an extra person in there. Um, you just have to find them. Uh, um, David, David, you yes. went back to school and did a master's degree at the age of 65, if my research is is correct. Well, well, tell us about that. Well, when I married this lady here, she, uh, I, I was previously married to someone else, but she's had a special impact on my life. And we came together at a time when you've got all of these things that you've accomplished. Let's put them together. Otherwise, I may not, I may not be talking to you all about it. She's been a, a tremendous positive impact to me. And we're together on, on most of the things we do. He got that degree because he needed a job. <laughs> what was the degree in? Was it in social work? It's in social work. Practical women. Jackie, Jackie my, my daughter is in her second year of doing a master's in social work in, in Liverpool in England. So I was very struck by the fact that David did it at 65. Uh, it's hard to make it as a photographer. <laughs> anything else I mean you'd sell your pictures and uh, uh, practicality uh, kicks in mm -hmm. and you go back to school and uh, even at that age you're supposed to be retired but uh, you know you have to pay the bills so you get a degree yep. and you Did go to school and he even worked in a prison as a social worker well I was going to say what did you What? where did that degree take David so he, he went to a prison and worked as a social worker, you say? Yes, he went to women's prison. He, I mean, you know, David, no, as he previously mentioned to you, sex. No, he went to a women's prison in California. <laughs> yeah, certain places you go, you can't exercise. Things are maybe in your head. <laughs> but uh, he worked there for a long time uh, well, down in, uh, down in uh, the valley. I don't know, what's the name of it? Chochilla. Chichilla Valley okay. in California in the women's prison for about three years. He worked there. And then he worked with the foster children in, in uh, California as a social worker. And he also worked with senior citizens right after he got that degree in Miami, Florida. Mm -hmm. So the social degree, uh, the degree in, um, in social work took him many places. And I tend to organize the group. There's somebody in there who, if we did to do this or do that, that's what I have thought about coming together as a group. And I'm skilled at that, putting people together. And it's not just you complaining, but you represent a number of people who feel the same way. 
and who who will present themselves and honor. You know, David, um, tell us a little bit about storytelling in photography and how one tells a story in photography or maybe how you did how you told stories give us some hints and tips well once you're born and you're growing up you tend to gravitate towards certain things it can be i'll take this kind of candy there because so and so loves this kind of candy i think in our lives too certain things appeal to us and some you will you will have people have said, I wish I could do that. Or I wish if I were a member of that, I would organize people to do that. I think we all have a little bit of that in our system. It's implementing it, which takes a little energy. They have people say, no, nah, things are okay here. I don't want to disturb the things. Don't let that stop you. You know, when, when these early inventors decide they want to explore the world, I suggested somebody, oh, God, I would never go out in that ocean, all this. It's in in people, and your ability to ignore that and move on if you feel strongly about it. It may not happen, and it may happen in your life. You may die or something. Somebody picks up the idea and say, yeah, so-and-so was working on that, and I I, I thought it was a good idea, but I never put the energy or the time into it. I think we all have that opportunity. Sometimes it takes on. When the early explorers come in, how did they discover America? Somebody said, all those boats and all that water, you know, I, I may not never make it. I think we have, I have it. It's implementing it, having, or having the opportunity for some of the idea you have. May could mean your end. So you have to have the ability to make your choice. And you don't, sometimes you don't recognize it until someone points it out. You know, so and so and so and so. What you want to do is put that in the book. You think so? No. So sometimes you can amass a, you can amass a body of work over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it you can see themes and stories I, I guess just emerge you know as you look back on a body of work and remember a period of time is that is that often the case with you as well yeah even here there's only one black family here one they treat us well here there's no problem with the system with the people here i feel better if, they, if we were more and being more black people here, not as employees. Oh, right. No. And it will happen sooner or later. The one thing that's that in your podcast, uh, gentlemen, that uh, I will remind you of, there is a difference in in generational uh, description of things for you than for David. And sometimes he will not describe things in the same languages, in the same language that you do. Uh, so, and I hope that to the people listening uh, to your uh, podcast will understand that some things that he's saying are, are generational. 
yeah, and are not explained in the same way as 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 different generations explain them. So uh, you know, ninety years is a long time in trying to explain something in one way and the same way to the people listening to it. So you you will have to translate it for yourselves. No, I yeah, think, I think we, we really appreciate that. And there's um, some there's there, there have been a few things that have really um, stirred to me. There've been a quite quite a few little quotes there, but there was there was there was something that, and and I want to because I think we'll start to wind things down. But I there's I'd just like to get David's view on advice for photographers i mean for instance i've taken something here um early on was mentioned like you know how do you decide on taking a photograph of somebody and it's to observe it's to see you know just just watch the person before you actually get to the point of actually taking the photograph to see what they do the interesting things the mannerisms that they have and see if there's a see if there's a photograph there and mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm there thinking you know that's just so simple and it's just really, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing. Uh, it's a great piece of advice because that's something that I would really struggle with, and, I, and that's something I can take away and I can actually do something with that. And I'm just wondering if there's any other uh, bits of advice, especially. I mean, this this show is 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 aimed towards large format photography, um, but I'm just wondering if if David has any other tips or wisdom uh, for people that are interested in this hobby and um, something that, that perhaps they could do to improve the way that they do things or give them a little bit of inspiration? Good question. If something is subject or song or whatever, keeps coming back to you. Or you go to a movie and you, there's a solo in, in, in one of the scenes. And something going to you. I've had that idea of, put that sort of thing to music. I'm, I'm not, then you start getting excuses. Oh, well, I'm not a musician. Should I ask so-and-so? Um, so it, con it, it constantly, think of the things that we may have if, the, if we uh, had followed up on something that attracted you, appealed to you, and then you go somewhere and see it and say, you know, I think about that all the time myself. It keeps revisiting you. And some people will act on it. Why don't you do it, honey? I'm not sure what you want me to do. Jackie, you want to interrupt? I'm, I'm trying to get him to talk about the man on the skateboard in answer to your question. You do it. Go ahead. The man on the skateboard. Have you seen that picture? Yeah. Oh, yes. It's an amazing photograph. I'm glad you brought it up. Because it's, I, I, I struggle to yeah. understand what's going on with that photograph. Yeah, that's the man on the skateboard. I think that totally answers your question as to, you know, what 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 you were speaking to. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. We lost your vision. So <laughs> we lost your vision. So I think that's that particular picture especially answers your your question. I mean, how do you take a person who has no legs? in a time when disabilities were not considered. Yeah. That's one of the first pictures you will ever see of a person with a severe disability. Yeah. Back in the 40s. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it, that, that, that photograph in itself, it's, a, it's an incredible photograph. It, 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 
I remember the first time I, I saw it, I didn't actually notice the disability at mm -hmm. all. I just, I just saw um, a, 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 a man uh, who was, mm -hmm. uh, who was uh, and it was a man of confidence uh, look, looking at the camera. And, yeah. uh, to the, and it was good in many respects that the, the it's un, it's unremarkable because it's just a man looking you know a confident man looking at the camera and then you see the rest of the photograph and it's, and all of a sudden it doesn't make sense anymore you can't think well what, what's what, what's happening here and it, and it's it's incredible because it's you're not taking pity on him in any shape or form and it's not voyeuristic or anything like that you're you're showing that that person for who he is he has a severe disability yet mm -hmm. he you, you you can see the strength in him and he gets on with life and it's an incredible photograph he almost the subject himself almost dares you to feel sorry for him like don't you like go ahead feel sorry for me try it you know what i mean like he's so straight at you that it's like don't you dare yeah. feel sorry for me mm -hmm. um, he's, he's, a yeah. he's 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 dressed for the whatever's going on yeah his hat his beard is trim gloves on his hand he's sharper than me yeah 99.9% <laughs> .9 of the time <laughs> where are his trousers <laughs> he could be dressed for the evening well, 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 David. I think on that that in, incredible photograph, and anybody that uh, hasn't seen that photograph, it's we'll we'll try and find a way with uh, David's permission to be able to share it within our our Facebook group because it's it's a photograph that I think everybody has to yeah. see if they haven't seen it. Um, one of many fantastic, incredible photographs that you've taken over your career, um, and I think that's a, a good time to start to uh, wind things down. In particular, just to say uh, thank you so much for being making yourself available to us. It's been a it's been a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, and and ja uh, Jackie, thank you very very much for for helping out as well. Um, really appreciate your 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 input there. And perhaps this actually might be a more of a question to you, Jackie, about uh, ways for our listeners to uh, how they can potentially see uh, David's work uh, out on in in the internet or in in real life as well. Oh well, thank you very much for having David and myself. And we enjoy talking to you today. And Davis' work is always at the uh, Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and at the Bancroft Library in Berkeley, California. Uh, those two uh, uh, libraries now own a substantial part of Davis' work, mm -hmm. and they're available for researchers, and also at Davis' own library at the uh, Harvey Milk Center. So thank you very much, gentlemen. And it has been a wonderful, wonderful time to meet each one of you. And we hope to see your work somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. Thank you for having us. <laughs> is there a book? Is there a book published? Yes, there is the book, The Dream Be Not Done So Long Ago, but right now they're all sold. And um <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, the last one we sold for was for a tremendous price. But uh, really? there's several books that David's work is in. Harlem of the West is one. Uh, the Golden Decade is one. They're still out uh, for, for you to uh, to look. 
to look okay. for. The golden decade, as the, all the golden decade of photographers of Ansel Adams' first 10 years of photography and photographers. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in that one, uh, if you can get a hold of a copy of that. And the Harlem of the West. And there's also videos put out by KQED. Uh, also, I think uh, the BBC is going to put out a video uh, in the f- near future. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's, it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Really Thank you. Thank you, Eric, Andrew, and Simon. Thanks, right. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we'll we'll just um, quickly say goodbye uh, to our, our listeners. So, uh, Andrew, um, how can people follow you on with all the things that you do? Well, um, the wonders of social media. So, if you know, you can see stuff that I post up on Instagram and on Twitter uh, at Warboys Snapper, and then we have this wonderful Facebook group called the large format photography facebook group and i'm there all the time really just keeping people in order (laughs) (laughs) and we have a a, if people want to get in touch with us and have a email read out which will actually happen potentially next time we're actually on uh, how would they do that are you asking me yes i think they should send an email to large large format photography podcast at gmail com excellent well well maybe done. and we've we've also got a flicker group as well haven't we which we haven't mentioned in the last couple of we shows do. i think that's we, yeah. curated and run by colin debro that's it i've said that right haven't i yes as, well, as close as we can anyway um, <laughs> so um, yes uh, flicker is a great place to look at images it is it is and uh, eric um how can people keep up with things that you do Pretty much just Instagram, uh, E-R-I-K-H-M-A-T-H-Y is uh, my Instagram account. And you'll see currently photos of a large format lens being made out of wood in progress. And pet bunnies, still more pet bunnies. We have pet bunnies, Jackie and David. There will will be some glass in that lens as well, won't there? There will be some glass. Soon, actually, after this weekend, the glass will be installed. That's good. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter as Simon Four. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic, uh, which is also almost the name of my website where you can buy lens caps. And uh, and I keep on saying it. And I'm getting so close to making lens boards. Um, I have designs, and they they're almost there. They're almost on sale. Um, and uh, and that is SimonForsterPhotographic.co.uk. Um, our music uh, is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It's called Two Finger Johnny. And absolutely everybody loves it um and i uh, just want to say thank you again to uh, to uh. Jack, uh, <laughs> uh, jackie and david uh, it's been a, an absolute honor to have the both of you on on the show thank you yeah absolutely and really i can't yeah i can't say enough it's been an absolute pleasure mm-hmm. okay um so that is it so um i hope you've enjoyed it um we certainly Enjoy. have and uh, so goodbye goodbye Bye. Talk to you soon. I'm well into my 90s, so I'm enjoying it. As long as it lasts. (laughs) Long may that continue to be, my friend. Long may that. Thank you very much.
<laughs> I, I, I wanted I wanted to get into my nineties with a good woman to lead me down the path of life. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like you've got that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you just made that sound like you haven't that you haven't found that woman yet. Yeah, Andrew. I think you do. She was just making you tea earlier. What she are you was. talking We've been about? married thirty years this year, and I, and I hope by the, in another forty years, when I'm David's age, uh, <laughs> I hope she's there to guide yeah. me and support me and stop me saying stupid things. <laughs> Dude, they're, more, Heather, they're more observant than you really realize. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh yeah. 